Oh man, that was so much fun uh, to shoot. Zach's a great guy and we have a lot of fun around here. That was, wasn't that a great video? Yeah, that's just a good time all around. And, and honestly, that's what we've been talking about this past month. And that is the fun and the good time that we have as a church when we are fulfilling our mission. In this series, Our Outlook, that's exactly what we've been focusing on, refreshing ourselves on. And so as we wrap up today, let's review once again the mission of our church. It is to develop all of us. Someone say all of us. One last time. That's right. All of us as disciples of Jesus who are connecting to Christ and His church, who are growing in their faith in a group, who are serving according to their giftedness on a ministry team. And today we'll look at being disciples who are going around the corner and around the world, sharing the love of Jesus in word and in deed. That's what we mean when we say going. So this is our outlook. And we've been looking at what we believe, how it drives our values, decisions, and actions. And so, of course, you can't talk about this without realizing that what we believe makes a difference. And we believe that that the truth of the gospel, the reality of Jesus in my life, in your life, makes a difference in us and then in the world. And so because that's true, we believe that a community should be different because a church is in it. That our presence as sincere, wholehearted Jesus followers makes a difference in our community. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. So we're going to let Jesus teach us through five different things that he said and taught that taken together form a really solid theology of mission. Uh, Mission is what we mean when we say going, that we're making a difference in our world through his love and grace. And so let's dive right in. Are you ready? All right. Five things Jesus is going to teach us through his word This morning, we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says these words. They might be familiar to you. You might be hearing them for the very first time. Either way, let them land on you fresh. Here they are. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on its stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. I love that. Light to everyone. In the house. Jesus says, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, that everyone will praise, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Powerful teaching here from Jesus. And I absolutely love this this, uh, line right here No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. He makes this matter of fact statement everyone understands and agrees is true. No one would go to the trouble of lighting a lamp only to then hide the light of that lamp. That, that go, that's, that's the opposite of, of what, you're, um, meant, what you're trying to do when you light a lamp, right? So you got to love Jesus' logic here, because what he's saying to you and to me is, look, I'm making a difference in your life, not unlike a lamp when it becomes lit. Your job is to shine, right? Your job is to do what lit lamps do, glow. It's just that simple. Be who you are, and don't hide who you are becoming. Just don't hide it, and you're already off to a fantastic start. I love that logic. However, 
I seem to have a dimmer switch. Anyone else have a dimmer switch inside them? Right? People, circumstances, you name it, stuff we do, stuff that gets done to us, can reach right in there, find that dimmer switch, and turn things down. Right? Not shining quite as bright on some days than as others. And it's in those moments right there that we need to go back and just remember what Jesus is saying. Remember who we are. You are the light of the world. Jesus, you're making a difference in me. Jesus, it's you that fill me by your spirit. It's you who helps me glow as I go. And we just stoke that fire again and tell everyone else to take their hands off my dimmer switch. All right. A couple of times throughout this series, uh, I've referred to the fact that in 2019, our elders spent that year putting together uh, a vision statement that will guide us, set our priorities for the years ahead. And I've quoted from that a few different times when it's relevant to what we're talking about. I'm going to do that a couple more times today. It's at this point that I remember the words that were written that say this. I want to share them with you. It is our earnest desire to be a light reaching our whole community. We say this to mean we want to be a church that can't be missed. Remember, like a city on a hill. Because we meet needs. Not because we're so great. Not because we have it all together. Not because we're trying to build our brand or, or market ourselves. No, we want people to find Jesus. Amen? And so in doing that, we want to meet their needs and love and support individuals and families. That, that's what we believe Jesus means when he says, be a light. So as we're going, we're supposed to be glowing. Whether we're at work, perhaps you're a student still in school, wherever you go, before, after school, in the halls, in the classroom, extracurriculars, be a light that reflects Jesus' love to others. Whether we're at work, whether we're with our neighbors, with our family, we are to simply be who, the, who Jesus is making us to be. Remember, just don't hide it. That's a great first step. Now, when I, when I think of this, I, I think of our church. We're certainly far from the only great church in our area, but this is who we are. And I think of our church as having a blast radius, so to speak, of love in our community. That is, you think about Pendleton and Fortville, McCordsville, Fishers, Castleton, Lawrence, Cumberland, Greenfield, and New Powell, and you think about God placing us here. We simply want to be a place that when people learn about us, meet some of you, drive by, you name it, that they begin to sense those are a people who love Jesus and who will accept me and welcome me and love me just as I am because that's exactly how they came to the faith too. As imperfect people who said yes to Jesus, were introduced to him and his love and that we want to be exactly that kind of welcoming Church, And so if we're going to do that, right, then love is our driver. Make no mistake, that is always who we are. One, one other thing that we wrote in our vision statement, it said it's always been our goal. This is reflecting on the fact that we're, uh, you know, continuing to develop this land that we moved here. We moved here in 2009 and we keep getting chances to move forward in the development of our campus. Well, what's the why behind that? Why is that important? And just in the last few weeks, we've gotten to see some great activity back here, thanks to your prayers and generosity. We wrote this. It's always been our goal that the community around us finds us to be open and welcoming. 
As we expand our usage of the acreage the Lord has provided, we have a great opportunity to develop it in a way that's responsive to the needs of the individuals and families surrounding us. That we recognize that everything we do is not for us, but for our community. That we want to be a place that is welcoming and useful and needed and also helps people feel at ease when they come onto our campus. These are the kinds of things that we feel like are an important thing for a New Testament church to be. Now, Jesus mentions that it's our good deeds, as he puts it, that will shine and glow and cause others to see and go, oh, that's God at work. God must be real. He's certainly real in your life, and I want to learn more about that Heavenly Father that you keep talking about. Those good deeds. Good deeds create goodwill toward the good news, is what we're hearing here. But let's be really clear. What kind of good deeds are we talking about? We're not talking about religious duty. We're not talking about being just a good churchgoer, right? Or trying to keep ourselves together and, and be, modify our behavior in a way that will somehow seem acceptable to church people around us. That is the opposite of what we're talking about. We believe that when Jesus says good deeds, he's talking about acts of mercy and care. And the reason we believe that is because of what he says in our second passage this morning in Matthew 25. In this passage, Jesus is talking about the final day in which all of humanity will stand before him. And then he begins to refer to those who will receive their eternal reward. They'll get to spend eternity with God, their Father. And then he begins to illuminate what kind of conversation is going to happen in that moment. Check this out. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Now, Jesus says as he tells this uh, parable, which is really almost uh, a, a parallel of reality, you can tell he's describing something that feels very, very real to him in the future as we'll all stand before him. He says there's a moment of confusion here. The folks who are hearing this are going, wait a second, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Or when did we see you needing something to drink or some clothes or certainly sick or in prison? When did that happen? And this is what he says the reply will be. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whatever you did, you did for me. Now, I'm a simple guy. I like simple things. This is a very simple formula here for me. Go where there's a need. That's where you'll find me, Jesus says. Someone's thirsty, don't overthink it. Give them something to drink. Someone's hungry, you don't have to have a committee about that. Get them something to eat. Do it for those in need, and in the end, you will realize you were doing it for me because I was already there. I was caring about that person. And in, you do it as an act of devotion and love to me. You do it in my name, driven by my compassion, because frankly, most of us are too selfish without the Holy Spirit in us, right? We think mostly of ourselves if we're honest. But as we become filled with God's Spirit and we cultivate that relationship with Him, we begin to find something happening in us. We begin to be driven outward. We think of others and we're, uh, that, that compass in us is set toward compassion. Not just our own thoughts and needs and wants and desires. Go where there's a need. That's where you'll find me, Jesus says. 
Now, when we think about as a church, we can't talk about going this morning without thinking about the last few years here at Outlook and the story that God has been writing in this most uh, in this latest chapter of our story. As we've been blessed to do more and more work at Post and Forty Second, I want to reflect back on something that I said. I shared back in 2016. As I was thinking about today's sermon, I was was looking at something that I had preached in 2016, and I found this story that I would now want to share with you. These words were where we were as a church five years ago when it comes to our work at Post and 42nd. I wrote, Post and 42nd has been identified as one of the six hotspots of poverty and violent crime in Indianapolis. It is where IPS 105 is. It's where several Outlookers go every week to tutor and work with students there. Every Friday, I get to hang out with Ms. Cooper's kindergartners. For a few years there, I was able to be uh, a tutor in our renewal program there. I walk in, I wrote, I get hugs, I sit down with them two at a time, and we work on sentences, putting them together, and then writing them. And let's just reflect for a second what we've learned as we learn more and more about generational poverty. Literacy is a main driver toward helping people escape cyclical generational poverty. And so putting sentences together puts a whole lot more than just a few words together in the life of a child who will soon be an adolescent and then maybe even a high school graduate. Amen? Those are real acts of love our tutors do when they're helping kids learn how to read. I wrote my first or second week there, a boy just five years old, uh, uh, he couldn't focus, he couldn't get his sentences together. And he ended up just laying his head down and said quietly to me, I just want my daddy to get out of jail. Now, I've since learned, I wrote back in 2016, that Ebony is spunky and Journey is very smart and Carlton was the best behaved I've seen him since last Friday. And when I'm sitting there in a chair, way too small for me, and spreading out little puzzle pieces with words on them, What I see most is a sweet bunch of kids that Jesus knows intimately and loves completely. But they have a system of cards stacked against them. I wrote in 2016 and shared with all of you these words. We're praying about what God may lead us to do in this area. It's our equivalent of Nairobi's Mathari Valley which our church goes to at least once a year. And uh, we learn so much from our partners, Missions of Hope. They really are a model and a teacher to us in this regard. But Post and 42nd isn't thousands of miles, but 12 minutes from us. Now, in the years since then, the five years since, God has been busy. And earlier this year, we shared that we are excited to start a new church in that neighborhood, and our own Mike Wilkins will pastor it. So I've asked him to join me and give us an update regarding this church planting team. So give it up for Mike Wilkins. Good morning, everybody. Mike, thanks for joining us. That's, uh, I know uh, so many cool things are happening there, and I can't wait for everyone else to hear it. So why don't you just go ahead and go for it. Tell us how it's going so far. Sure, yeah, it's, it's really been an amazing experience. So you know we have the nonprofit that's down there, and now we're working on planting a church. And there are 34 of us who are involved in the church plant, and we are going through a training course that people who know how to do this kind of thing are trying to teach us. And we get together once a week, and we're trying to figure out what does it take 
to be the church in this neighborhood that we're serving in. And so right now it's a lot of foundational work. It's building up our own hearts to be able to minister to people in need. It's building up team relationships so that we together are as strong as we need to be to do the work that God's giving us. And then it's really just learning what, it, what does it take? What does it take to be the leader of a church reaching this neighborhood? And it's, it's slow. It's harder than I thought it would be. But it's all really important because it's the foundation on which the church will be built. That's really good, Mike. I love that phrase because you, you used it. You used it when we were talking earlier this week. You're learning what it takes to be the church this neighborhood needs. Right. That's and, exactly and, right. And that's a beautiful thing. So tell us more about what you're learning the kind that what is that kind of church? Yeah, sure. So I think there's three elements to the church that we envision for this neighborhood. One is it will be very missional, just just like what you were just talking about. This is going to be a church that will be on fire for this neighborhood. We know the situation people are in living there, and we feel like God has really called to us to minister just to this neighborhood. That doesn't mean we're going to ignore the world around us, but we'll be laser-focused on the families living in our neighborhood. Secondly, it's going to be very relational. One of the problems that people run into living in generational poverty, it's not so much the financial poverty that people find themselves in, but it's the relational poverty that people find themselves in, the lack of supporting relationships. Even people, when they have family that they're involved with, often don't have really supporting relationships that they can rely on. And so we're busy trying to build up those kind of relationships. And we believe that's the key to opening the door for us to really talk to them about Jesus. If they know us, if they know who they are, who we are, and where we're coming from, they're going to be much more receptive to the gospel. And then the third thing is it's going to be very, very discipleship-focused. We all need, whether we're from the neighborhood or from the church plant team or just right here at Outlook, we all need to live our lives the way Jesus has taught us. And we think that when people see that and when they, when they have that desire to live their lives according to the way Jesus taught them, that's when their lives will change. And so we're trying to draw people in and show them this is what it means. This is what it looks like. This is the joy you can have following Jesus. Mm, amen to that. That's awesome. Um, you're learning a lot. You're experiencing a lot. Tell us what's the one thing or, or one or so things that have really just risen to the surface. They're either surprised you or they're just the major lesson so far yeah. that it just kind of hit you. Right, right. It's been, it's been a lesson that has been very cool to learn because I think it's reaffirmed what we're doing there. And that lesson is it's all about Jesus, mm. right? So everybody needs Jesus. We could go and we could fix all of the problems in the neighborhood, right? We could address financial poverty. We can work in the school. We can do all of those things. But that's addressing the symptoms. The problem is the absence of Jesus. Now, you don't overcome financial poverty simply by being a believer, right? But if we fixed all those problems and still left the heart issue of the absence of Jesus in people's lives, we really haven't accomplished anything. And so we think the very next effective, logical step is to partner that nonprofit with a church bringing people to Jesus, and that's the way the neighborhood will be transformed. 
That's beautiful. That's awesome. Uh, I want to put the names on the screen here of the Outlookers who answered that call earlier this year and have been now deep in that training that you guys are going through. Tell us more about this launch team. Sure. Yeah, um, it, it's a, it really is a pretty amazing group of people. Uh, there's 34 of us. All of us knew someone, not all of us, none of us knew everyone on the team. And so there has been this transformation process of us getting to know each other. What we've really experienced is when God calls you to do something, and when you respond to that call, it is incredible the way that he will support that and equip you and, and give you the confidence to step out and continue to follow him. And all of us are experiencing that in different ways and at different times. And the one thing that we really feel like is gelling us together is the sense that this is God's call and the working of the Holy Spirit showing us God's working here, God's working there, God's working there, and we get to come alongside where God is already working and join him in his mm -hmm. work. And that's been the thing that has just brought up the entire team. We're, we just feel like we really kind of have the wind in our sails when we follow where God is already working. Amen. To that. that is awesome. Yeah. The wind of the spirit at your back is a beautiful feeling, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. That's, that's really good. So yeah. folks, keep in prayer, Mike and Angie and the whole team that you see their names here. Uh, we will keep praying for them and thanking God for them. They are us and we are them. Amen. And uh, we are so happy about what's going on. I know you're aiming for a spring launch. That's what we're shooting for. And uh, uh, we're looking for that day this spring where you'll all be up here and we'll be praying for you. And what a glorious day that's going to be. Yeah, really yeah cool. Amen to that. Thanks, Mike, a ton right. for that Thank quick you. update. But we really appreciate it. Awesome. When Mike and I were talking this week about having this chat and what we would share. Uh, he used a phrase that I loved. He said, man, what we're learning is this is a spirit momentum thing that, like he said, you feel the wind of the spirit at your back. And that's what happens, I believe, for all of us. We begin to, as we say yes to Jesus and grow in him, we do begin to feel this nudge that gets us out and, and thinking about others. And that's the third thing that Jesus says. We are a sent people. This is core to our identity as disciples of Jesus. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying and he prays for all his followers. And he says to the father, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. You gave me a mission. I'm giving them a mission. And then later, post-resurrection, Jesus says something very similar to his disciples. Again, he said, this is John 20, peace be with you as the father has sent me so I am sending you. And so I think, at least I found for my own discipleship, that it's important that we see ourselves as sent. That when we say yes to Jesus, we are saying yes to his commission to be sent to love everyone, to love the world in practical ways, to love anyone that we meet and look for ways to Love. A lot of times we might read passages like these, these words from Jesus, and think about people who are sent away, maybe sent as missionaries, or even our launch team who are sent to post in 42nd. But I also, in addition to that, want to encourage you to begin to see yourself as sent wherever you are. That maybe, just maybe, God is wise and loving and just brilliant and smart enough to know that He needs you to glow and to go wherever you are. 
Going to the grocery, you're sent to the grocery. Going to school, you're sent to school. Headed to work, you're sent to work. Wherever you go, see yourself as a sent person. And that maybe you weren't born where you were born or even live now where you live. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe you were sent there. That maybe God has people in your circle of influence right where you are that you need, that you were sent to reach, sent to love, sent to simply be near so that people could begin to see who you are and then praise your Father in heaven, as Jesus said earlier. Now, back to our guiding vision, one last uh, quote from it. We wrote in 2019, thinking about the years ahead regarding just this very topic, we wrote, we must work to maintain a bleeding, tearful edge of relevance and sensitivity to the unchurched. That we need to be aware that there are plenty of people who've not said yes to Jesus, or maybe they've drifted from him, sometimes for some really understandable and good reasons they've drifted. Maybe they've been burnt out by church or hurt in some way, and they're currently far from God and far from his people. Making sure, we wrote, we don't become too churchy. Yeah, we wrote that right there in the vision statement. Too churchy and insular. Rooftops, we said, around our address are increasing in number, and so are the souls living under them. They're aching for healing, longing for connection, hungry for truth. We can love them one at a time and reliably point them to Jesus. That's who we want to be. And that takes us to our fourth thing that Jesus says. In Max 1.8, he says to his disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's very much what we've been talking about so far. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's that blast radius, once again, embedded right there in Scripture. Start here, keep going. Just keep going. You will be my witnesses, he says, telling people about me everywhere or wherever you go. See, a church that forgets or neglects its calling to change the world around it and begins to only focus on its chosen few, so to speak. And by the way, if anyone wants to convince you that you're just part of a chosen few, that's already a red flag. Then a church that does that has ceased to be a church in any biblical sense. That we must maintain that edge, that calling to reach those around us and to love the world that we're in and those who are in it. And this takes us to our fifth thing that Jesus says. Taken together, all five of these passages build for us a really solid theology of mission. We call this the Great Commission. It's Matthew 28. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. These words are Jesus' charge to his most intimate followers in his last earthly moments with them. And Christians for generations and generations have seen these words as their charge too. Grasping that Jesus wasn't commissioning only those 11 disciples back then, but ultimately all his disciples across the ages. 
knowing that we would one day hear and read these words as we're doing right now and cherish them as our own. And this, honestly, is the perfect place for us to wrap up our series uh, because our whole mission is right here. Connecting in baptism, growing through teaching and learning, serving by obeying our master, servant, leader, and, of course, going into all the world. Go and make disciples of all nations, all people groups, all around the world. We take that seriously. And if there's one thing I've learned, and, uh, it's, and there's a lot that I don't know about this, but if there's one thing I've learned, it's this. In doing mission work in Thailand, I've been to the Darien jungle of Panama. I've done work in Mexico uh, a couple of times. I've been to Kenya four times, Haiti, Appalachia, some of the most challenging areas of Atlanta and Baltimore. I say all that to say that this. There's just one thing I've learned. Nothing replaces or compares to the experience of being somewhere new and unfamiliar. That there is no faith that is like a stretched faith. That when Jesus says go, I can't help but think he also means get out of my comfort zone. That when that going, when that wind of the Spirit is at my back, and when that love of Jesus is filling our hearts, that command to go has got to mean, if you just think about it for a half a second, it must mean that I'm going to be pushed a little bit, nudged out of what's new or out of what's comfortable and familiar into what's new and adventurous and exciting, but also stretching, maybe even a little scary. It's going to change the way I see the world. It's going to change the way I think. It's going to show me new ways of seeing people. It's going to do all of that. That's why I think this heartbeat moving us forward, go, go, this drumbeat radiating out, go, Jesus says, is so very important. Our community, first at least, right here, should be better because we're in it, because we're here should be true of every New Testament church. In fact, researchers tell us that three to 4,000 local churches in the U.S. will go out of existence each year. That's sad, right? But of course, many new ones are also starting every year, and that's good. But the question every church should ask is this. If we cease to exist, would our surrounding community notice? I'm glad to say that I believe and certainly hope that for Outlook, the answer today would be yes. That doesn't happen by accident, and it's not sustained without diligence and prayer and hopeful obedience to Jesus as we take to heart the words we heard him say today. Now, if this love and purpose sounds like good news to you, and maybe it is news to you, maybe if you're online or you're with us here in the room, this is something that you're intrigued by, you want to learn more about, I would invite you to go to outlookchurch.org yes. We would love to start a conversation with you about exactly that. Or if you're live here in the room, I could uh, be happy to talk to you after we dismiss here in a few minutes. Friends, as we wrap up this series, let's be a place that radiates Christ's love. Amen? Jesus did everything to share that love with us. We can do everything that we can as well. It's our mission. It's our mission to develop all of us as disciples of Jesus who are connecting, growing, serving, and going. Let's pray about that. Lord, thank you for your powerful word. Thank you for the truth that we've gotten to be 
reminded of perhaps today, or maybe it's been a long time since we've heard some of these truths and they've inspired us in new and fresh ways. God, we ask that you would form us to be a kind of people who really do, as we say yes to, yes to you, in, in a million little small ways throughout a day, a week, a month, a year, as we just keep submitting our lives to you, that we would begin to feel your spirit at our back, like a wind, your spirit in our hearts, like a flame, pushing us forward, lighting our way, helping us love everyone that we see. Lord, this is our prayer. We're happy to pray it in your powerful name. Amen.